0: I love it when a plan comes together. Some of you may know that phrase from a famous 1980s TV show by uh, Colonel on the A-Team as something would blow up in the background with his big old cigar and he says, I love it when a plan comes together. I like that, that statement because I too love it when a plan comes together. I personally enjoy making plans and seeing them come to fulfillment. I actually enjoy putting things on a calendar, seeing them come to pass. I enjoy making goals, making checklists, checking off things that are completed. And that's something that some of you might say, well, that's kind of weird, but that's what I enjoy doing. This world has taught me and teaches you that we are to be people who are self-sufficient and we're in complete control of all of our lives and specifically our future days ahead of us. The world has taught us that uh, we know best what our future holds, so we must make plans that will fit that. Therefore, the result is that we pridefully speak, act, and plan in ways to control our future, and what James says is that is foolish living. And so if you go back to James chapter 3, where we began in that chapter to see where James teaches about godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, he said godly wisdom is for the benefit of God's people and worldly wisdom is evil. This morning, we look at verses 13 through 17, which teaches that we are to apply wise um, wisdom, godly wisdom to our life. Therefore, the scriptural truth from James 4, verses 13 through 17, is this. Wise living consists of knowing that God is in control of my life and future. Wise living consists of knowing that God is in control of my life and future. Look at verses 13 through 17 of James 4. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The Word of God. Again, as we read the Bible, I remind you weekly, this is not just James in this book uh, coming up with something that he just thought of. The Holy Spirit gave the words to be written by the men that he selected to write the Bible for us, and therefore, you have a treasure, church, the Word of God. Therefore, pray that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding of it this morning. As you look at verses 13 through 14, the first point is this, is that you are not in control of your life. For some of you, that is a devastating statement, and for others, it's a very uh, warm, comforting, peaceful statement. You are not in control of your life. And yet some of you will want to argue with me that you are. Know that you are not in control of your life. This is what James teaches. This is what the Word of God teaches throughout from beginning to end. Yet we live in a world in which we are tempted every day to think that we are like God. Not only, as we saw in the last week, verses 10 through 12, we are quick to judge people, which judging belongs to God alone, that we can be so prideful, we can be so arrogant that we consider our future days and we decide what we think will happen and we make plans accordingly. Well, look at verse 13. James says to the believers, remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians, those who have faith in Christ alone for salvation, those who he began saying are going in the midst of trials. And here's what he says to the Christians then and today. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. How easy is it for you and I to make future plans? I mean, you were probably, uh, even if you don't like doing it, were probably in school taught in some way, yeah, you need to plan ahead, you need to do these things. Some of you don't like planning at all, and you just love to fly by the seat of your pants and do whatever happens. But... Many of us like to plan, and you may not admit it, but we do in our mind or paper or whatever think what's going to happen, that we feel we have control over our life. My junior year in high school, I can think back to telling schoolmates that I was going to be an architect, and I was going to go to USC, and at that time, I had no math skills or artistic abilities, and... At that time, it would have cost about 85, 87,000 dollars to attend there, for five-year degree in art, in, to be an architect. But in my mind, that's what my future plans were going to hold, and it wasn't until the following year, that summer, before I went into my senior year of high school at a Christian camp, as that week went by each night, the Lord put upon my heart a calling to be an elder and pastor in the church, something that I thought was crazy, that I said, Lord, I'm not going to pursue that whatsoever, and here I stand before you today because it is God's will and not mine. James is warning believers, in the midst of not forgetting the various trials that you are in, that future planning can tempt you to look beyond and think, once I get out of this, I'll get to that point when God is present now, as back in chapter 1, that you would have joy going through the trials that He is working in you to sanctify you and to mature you. And so it's one of those things that when we look future and try to plan out everything, There is the temptation to forget that God is working today in my circumstance now instead of looking for greener pastures in the future. And so for many, especially high school students, when I graduate, I'm going to go to this school or I'm going to do this. After I finish that schooling or do that, I'm going to get this type of job. And after I do that, then I'm going to get married. And then after that, I'm going to buy a home, a really big home in a great place. And then after that, I might have 2.5 children. And after that, I'm going to do this. And America has taught us well Lay out this plan of the American dream and everyone tries to pursue that not knowing or understanding or believing that God's in control. And so wherever he's directed you to this point at right now is because he's done it, not because of anything that you've done. Now, you might argue with me, well, I've done this. Yes, we have been uh, created to do good works, and God empowers us to do those things, but anything good that you have done or do in your life is because the Holy Spirit empowering you to do that, not on your own. And again, some of you have a pushback. No, I'm in control. No, God is in control. So again, your focus on future plans may be distracting you from the fact that God's working now, today. And He wants you to trust Him now, in this hour, in this moment. And yes, we don't... Uh, he's, uh, James is not throwing out wise planning. We'll look at that here in a minute. Especially Proverbs is filled with it. We are to be wise in our planning, seeking the will of God. But <clears throat> he rebukes, in a sense, believers we're making plans without even any thought of God's will or His providence. Last fall, when we looked at God uh, in His being uh, all-powerful, that we also looked at God's providence, and God's providence is this sense that God create, has created the universe. He gives life to you, and in His providence, He cares for all of His universe that He's created as well as His people. I was reminded this week of Nehemiah chapter 9, in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6, it says you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. You need to know that everything that God has created in this universe including you is held together by Christ. It does not unravel because Christ is in control. God keeps these things together. He keeps you breathing right now. And therefore, as we plan, we must also be wise in our planning and be remindful that God's in control of our future as well as our past and our present. So James is not condemning you to plan wisely. You should plan wisely as he's been teaching the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. But what he's condemning is any planning in which we leave God out of the process in the sense that we do not seek him in prayer, in the sense that we do not go to his word to find out what is God's will for my life in this. And again, many times we, though, want to know, I'm looking for, where is that Missoula, Montana chapter? Oh, wait, oh, I don't see it, Lord. Where's that chapter on that school? To, or wait, am I supposed to take this job? And that's how we try to plan things. We need to go to God's Word, in which it clearly tells us in so many ways, here is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we should pray. And any plans that we should make should be laid before the Lord in prayer to see if God and how He is directing us from His Word, as well as, which we'll read in a minute from Proverbs, to not neglect the counsel of godly people that God would bring into your life. Again, he says, those who, he's speaking to those who say, well, today or tomorrow, I'm going to do this or that. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Today, after this service is over, I'm sure I will visit with some of you, may pray for some of you. At some point, I'll go upstairs and get my stuff, get in the truck, load up the family, and I will drive home. We will then uh, plan whatever for lunch that we're going to do at home. At some point this afternoon, I'll open up my notes for tonight's lesson at, the, at, the, at our service at 5 o'clock, which is on 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and I'll review my notes, maybe I'll... I'll, I'll take a short nap for a few minutes, and then I know at 4.20, we've got to be in the vehicles heading back this way so we can set up things in the room. So at 5 o'clock, we can open up this service. We can sing hymns of praise to the Lord. We can look at First Peter chapter 3, close in prayer. After that, go and, and, and fellowship together around the tables in the lobby and, and uh, eat a meal together. And then whenever I'm tired or whenever that is, we'll head home and we'll go to bed and prepare for the week. That's my plans. I may not make it to my truck. I may not get my lunch today. I may not be here at five o'clock. Some of you may not be here next Sunday with us. Some of you next year may not be here. You do not know what tomorrow holds or even the next moment of your life. And James says, this is what you should pay attention to in your planning to be wise. December 23rd, 2001, a friend of our family, Katie Owens, 19 years old, had a lot of future in front of her in her mind, was killed in an accident. AJ and Danny Hernandez, two, two cousins I went to school with. Three and a half months after we graduated our senior year, we went to the local junior college, had, I think, one or two classes together. They don't show up. I find out that both of them were murdered and their bodies thrown in an orange orchard. Herbert Vanderlucht, my grandfather, lived to be 93 years old. He's gone to be with the Lord. You do not know what tomorrow holds. And so all of your plans that you've had for the future, whether it's very short or maybe you've planned for uh, the day the Lord comes back and all your retirement and everything's invested and everything's set and you've got everything signed on the dotted line may not happen because it may be that it just happens to be your plans and not God's plans. So, When you think about the moments of your life and what is in the future, it must always be in the sight of the Lord God Almighty and that He is the one who is in control of all of life. At the beginning of the service, I read to you Psalm 139, and I would like to read to you verses 13 through 16 again. Verse 13 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God's in complete control before you you were even created in the womb of your mother. He already had on a book how many days you're going to live, when you'd be conceived, when you would be born, and when you die. God is in control. To think that he would have written down those things reminds us He knows all, nothing surprises him, the thoughts you're even having right now. God knew your thoughts before you even breathed your first breath. Therefore, this should drive us to seek the Lord in all of our planning. Verse 14, he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Like that mist walking through the forest in the area around here and that cloud comes through and the next moment the wind blows that mist out of there. He says, that is how short your life is. We think 80, 90 years is a long time, but in all of eternity and the time of the earth here, it's a little tiny blip. Your life is a mist. If you go back and read James chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he already said this once. Let the lowly brother exalt in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And then many times, I believe I've read this to you from Isaiah 40, my favorite Old Testament chapter. It says in verse 6, A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And just as you see the green grass on the hills, just like last year, just like the year before, and the year before, and the year before, it will not be green in a, while, a short while from now. And you will see that green grass die. And that's the description of, from Scripture of your life, that you are alive, And then you are dead. That your life on this earth is very short. Jesus told the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. And he said there was this rich man who had all these barns. And what he decided to do was to tear them down and make bigger barns so he could store more stuff. And Jesus says, here's what the rich man says in verse 19 and 20. The rich man says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax.'" Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What a great reminder if we have any pride in our planning in life before the Lord. Four months from now, some of you already got planned out what you're doing in September. Maybe October, maybe November. But what if four months from now, the economic collapse that you're seeing around our nation impacts you so much that you're struggling weekly? What if there's a struggle with getting food? I know some of you are like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't happen in America. I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, hey, when you look at things that are happening in this world, You try to prepare, you try, I mean, you could stock your house up with all of the foods and all the vegetables, all kinds of stuff, and it could be gone in a house fire tomorrow. That doesn't mean don't plan wisely. Again, what this means is, is are you humble before the Lord in anything you dare to even do or plan for or hope for? Do you pray and lay it before the Lord God Almighty and ask your family and others uh, to gather with you and pray for the Lord and how He would direct? Proverbs 27 reminds me of that rich fool in Luke 12. It says in verse 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And again, in this world... We pursue things, and we listen to things, and we read things, and we hear things, and we're taught things that says, my future is my right, my choice is mine, and it is the most important thing in life. I don't need anyone or, uh, at all to make me successful because I can do that. Some of you have heard Oprah say this for years. Oprah says, you can change your future merely by changing your attitude. Psst. She does it all the time, all of her books, all the shows you've watched or listened to, She teaches that you can change your future if you just change your attitude. What do you want to be? What experiences do you want to create? Just create it. Some of you have read through a book or listened to a guy named Joel Osteen who gives some talks on Sundays. And he says that you can make your life better, that you can make yourself happier and joyful. And all of it always is focused on you and not on God. He's just another Robert Shuler who says, hey, if you think good thoughts... Those things will happen. Church, those are lies of Satan and the demons. Read the word of God. You will not find those things in there that gives you any credit for what you do and how you make your plans. The problem is, I speak out of this, is that's where I've been at times in my life. Trying to plan out things that I wanted to do. Trying to plan out things for churches that I've served. And I've realized that when those things have failed, I did not pray about it. I did not go to the Word of God and say, is this your will? And so this is a message for me as much as it is for all those who hear the Word of God this morning. Again, James says we are not in control. God is in complete control. Again, for some of you, this is a shock and it's offensive. What? I am not in control. For others of you, God is in complete control. It is the most peaceful thing for you this morning. You are so thankful that God's in control because you know that if you were, you would mess up your life. For those of you who know that God's in complete control, you know the Lord makes the sun to rise. You know that the, that the Lord causes the wind to blow, that he watches over you, that he, as we sang, knows your name, and not only knows your name, but he knows all the days of your life. You take joy and comfort in that, and therefore we should praise the Lord because he's in control. But the person who plans differently by submitting to God's plan and God's will is described in verse 15. Verse 15 lives as a person where God is in control of all of life. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills is not just a start of a sentence or a tagline that you say to protect yourself from what you are going to say. If the Lord wills, I'll have chocolate chip ice cream today. If the Lord wills, I'm going to go to this or that It doesn't assure you of anything. What if the Lord wills does? It reminds you that you need to be humble before the Lord God who's in control of all things. And so it's not just some pious thing, I need to make sure I say that to my brother or sister in Christ. If the Lord wills, I'll see you for dinner tonight. We should use that phrase and use it frequently as a reminder to ourselves to humble ourselves. And if the Lord uses it to humble others, then praise God the Lord. John chapter, or Job chapter 12, verse 10, Job, who lost everything, did not know that Satan was taking these things away from him, that Satan caused the wind to blow where his children died in that home, that he was afflicted with sores, did not know that God allowed Satan to do those things. Job, in, the, in his responses in chapter 12, verse 10, says this about God, In His hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. I frequently tell you to do this. Take a deep breath right now. He just allowed you to breathe. Not just because medically they can explain that your body does this and that. No, God allowed you to breathe right now. Job acknowledges that. You need to acknowledge that because it shapes how you live your life daily and how you make your plans for life. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. As you turn to Proverbs chapter 16, when you are making plans and wise plans, you need to pray and you need to read the word of God to seek his will. Even Nehemiah, when he stood before the king and the king says, Nehemiah, what do you want in that instant Nehemiah prayed right then he had already been praying for months before that but when he was before the king and he says Nehemiah what can i do for you he prayed instantly before he answered him how many times have you been faced with an immediate decision and yes, you could in that moment pray, Lord, help me right now. Holy Spirit, help direct my thoughts and my plans. How many of you are investing your time and your life into the God's word so that you know the will of God? So when you come to these decisions, you go, Oh Lord, thank you for directing me in those ways. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Do you see where we're going here? And I mean, Proverbs is filled with this. I think I wrote down some of them. Chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 23, repeatedly This is written in the Proverbs of wisdom and wise wisdom, godly wisdom about how you make plans and how God's in control. He is the one who brings the outcome. Read Psalm chapter 1 as well. Proverbs 19, verse 20 and 21 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Elon Musk wants to go to mars his plans is not only to just send a rocket there but to build a colony there you know you ever paid attention to some of these things look at all the plans of mankind in this world some of the things you think about are just lunacy at times because it's here's what i'm going to do i'm going to show the world this and it's nothing within god's plans I mean, the reason why they want to go to Mars is because they believe that this world is just going to burn up because of all the carbon stuff and all the trouble in this world, and people don't read the Word of God, which says that Jesus will return, and He will come, and we will be here. People that are living, when He returns, will see Him. There is a plan and a future laid out in the will of God, and He fulfills His plan. He fulfills all of His Word, but yet the world lives in foolishness trying to go to Mars because we think... That's what our will and what we plan to do. I mean, think back back to the Tower of Babel, in which they're building this tower. God's like, yeah, they can do just about anything. Let's go stir up their languages. And the chaos that it caused, they departed from building that big old tower. God just can say the word and change everything for everyone so saying, the Lord willing, there, instead, in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. That Even if you don't say that, that should be upon your heart. Whatever plans you are making, it should be, Lord, is this according to your will? I so desire to make a right decision. I so desire to live in this way. I do want to plan wisely, but would you direct my steps? Would you give me guidance from your word? And when we do that, it helps guard our hearts from arrogance and from pridefulness. And that pride and arrogance leads us to declare that we are sovereign and not God. And so if you look at verse 16 through 17, James sums this up in regards to this planning. And he says this in verse 16, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. See, the third thing we see here in verse 16 and 17 is that we are to live according to the will of God. And at the same time, people who aren't seeking the will of God, what happens in their life is going to happen because God's in control. And He directs it all. But God tells us, if you're a follower of Christ and you want to live wisely, you seek His word, you pray, you listen to the counsel of godly brothers and sisters in Christ, and you weigh it with God's word and with prayer, and the Holy Spirit will confirm these things. The Holy Spirit will direct you in a path that is right when you humble yourself before the Lord. When it says there in verse 16, boasting and arrogance, the word boasting means to glory in your own accomplishments. All the good things you've ever done in life that you think are good, you glory in those things. That's what this picture of boasting is. I can remember in high school, the desire to get, as a person who played sports, your letterman's jacket. And you wanted that thing so weighed down with not just the letters, but all the medals and all this stuff. I can remember one guy in our class that when he walked, his whole jacket was like clink, 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 clink. I mean, the guy was like everything. It's like, it's like he sunk down when he put his jacket on. I'm like, man, I want that. I only have a couple of letters and a couple of things. That guy got all those things. But again, there's this boasting that happens in mankind because we are so prideful. We want all the attention to ourselves. We want everything about us. And it's rooted in the fact that we're born into this world with sin. And all of it is about us and nothing about God. So therefore, we live and act accordingly as prideful people. The word arrogance there means empty bragging or to trust in one's power, or to trust in the things of the world. So how are you being boastful, in being arrogant about your life and your ability to plan out your life? 1 John chapter two, 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Any pridefulness in our life comes from a sinful side of our life it comes from the world it's not godly wisdom that is worldly wisdom and again because anything that you and i accomplish is by the hand and power of god it's by the will of the lord for anything that we've ever done good in life If you go back to James, if you look at chapter 4, and you look at verses 7 through 10, we've already read this, and we saw this the last two weeks, that any pridefulness in our life must be brought before the Lord and confessed. And in verses 7 through 10, he told us that we're to submit to God, in verse 7. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God, repent of your sin. And in verses 9 through 10, he said, humble yourself before the Lord God Almighty. So any and every and all planning that you are making for your future from this point on, don't think about, oh, all these planning I did and that was wrong. No, think today, how am I coming before the Lord, humbling myself, confessing my pride before him, asking him to lead me and guide me from his word? And one of the ways we do that, we see in verse 17, he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin." James calls all believers to be obedient to the Lord in all of life. And yet none of us can be obedient to the Lord God Almighty without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, sanctifying us and making us to be more obedient to Him. We're constantly breaking His law, breaking His commands, and we must therefore, as James 4, uh, 7-10 says, confess that and humble ourselves. But James calls for obedience in all areas of life. And he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It it is sin. And so we sin, sins of commission, sins of omission. Verse 17 focuses on sins of omission. But sins of commission are those times when we break God's law in thought, word, or deed. This is the child who you're telling, don't do that, and they look you straight in the face. You're like, put that down, and they continue to do that. Don't eat that thing, and they're continuing to watch you, and they do that. You're telling them, don't do that, and they purposely do that. We sins of commission, in thought, word, or deed. But also, there's sins of omission, which most of the time, sins of omission leads to sins of commission, But sins of omission are failing to do what we know the Lord has commanded us to do. And so we read throughout Scripture, God has commanded us, has told us how to live and walk in holiness. And when you read the New Testament letters to the churches, it says Christians live this way, and yet we continue to fail because of the sinfulness that we want to seek after. And God continues to sanctify us and make us more and more like Christ and not to sin as much in those areas. But then we have another area of sin that we deal with. The word sin there in verse 17, it means to miss the mark. And some of you bow hunters know what I'm talking around here, is that it means there's a, there's a bullseye, and as an archer or bow hunter, you want to hit the bullseye. And what this word here in the Greek means is that you miss the mark. It doesn't matter if you just barely missed it by over the line, you missed the mark, and therefore you sinned. You broke God's law, and this is for all mankind, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. But all have sinned and all have broken God's law because they've been born with sin passed down from Adam, Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, therefore, you're born As a sinner in this world who has broken God's law, who continues to break God's law by sins of commission and sins of omission, and God has set his standard, the mark is perfection. Can any of you be a perfect person? Wow, we've got some silence on that one. Man, we need to go back and reread something here. God says and calls for perfect lives of holiness. Is anyone perfect? No! No one is. And no one is born into this world of perfection. You've all broken the law. You've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including myself. We are all guilty of sin. And therefore, God's holiness, perfect holiness, God's perfect righteousness, and God's perfect justice demands that we are found guilty because we have missed the mark and we have sinned and we've been born into that way as children of wrath. Therefore, the punishment is death, eternal death, hell for eternity the wrath of God the Father upon us. That is the punishment. That is the guilty verdict for breaking God's law. And that is a weight. And that is so troubling. And it should cause great fear upon people who hear of a holy God who does not allow anything outside of the mark of perfection. And in the midst of that, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 when we were in the midst and depths of our sin but God but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see that in the depths of our sinfulness, missing the mark, breaking the law of God, being found guilty, and giving the verdict of eternal death, that God in his mercy sends his son Jesus? to go to the cross, be nailed there, and to, be, and to suffer and to die, but there at the cross to bear the sins of his people, where his blood is poured out, that can forgive and remove the sins of his people, the mercy of God, and that he died there on the cross, and he was buried in the tomb, and on the third day he was raised by the power of God from death to life, And Christ has ascended to heaven. He is ruling and reigning now in his kingdom. And he is coming one day in which judgment will happen. And all who have rejected him will stand before him. And the judgment will be eternity in hell. And for all who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in their heart that God raised Christ from the dead will be saved and they will enter into eternity, the glory of God, the place that he has prepared for those who he has adopted into his family. The tragedy in this world is a majority of people will pursue their lives to try to make better everything in their life, to make things change, and never seek the Lord. And they will die in their sins, and they will go to hell for eternity, thinking that they had control over their lives. And the day that they see the Lord in all of his glory, they will be put down of the pridefulness of their heart. And therefore, many people today, you see it all over. The relationships they involve themselves in, the money they spend, uh, whatever, on trying out different types of religions, whatever self-help books or shows they want to follow. I mean, the list goes on and on. People try to do things they think are going to better themselves in the future, and it gets them nowhere but eternal damnation in hell. None of it helps remove the guilt of your sin against God. And therefore, Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive you. He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one that can bring you from death to life. And again, as Romans 10 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he, raised, he is raised from dead and you will be saved. And God is faithful. So we close with this. How are you going to plan the rest of this year, this month, this week, the rest of the afternoon? Are you going to think about your minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years ahead of you by on your wisdom and how smart you are and what you've done in life, or are you going to lay these things before the Lord? I remember uh, a few months ago uh, going to visit um, our brother and sister in Christ, uh, Larry and Nancy Thomas, and uh, those of you who know Larry passed away recently, and sitting in their living room... And Larry was sitting on my right, and I can't remember, I think Nancy was right in front of me, and he wanted to read some psalms, and I was trying to be encouraging and praying. And I said something in regards to his future, and he looked at me and corrected me. And his correction, I don't remember the words, but it had to be, if my time's up, that's the Lord's. And I was like, oh. I was trying to encourage him, but man, he sure corrected me. Because we do not know how much time we have left to live. And as a believer, you are to steward everything that God has given you well. That when you stand before the Lord, not for the day of judgment, but before him to give an account of all that he's given you, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want direction in your life? Read the word of God. Lay your plans before the Lord in prayer. Seek godly counsel of brothers and sisters of Christ and weigh it with the word of God. And the Lord will direct you. As the worship team comes forward, it says this in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Heavenly Father, our desire is that this morning we would trust you, and we would trust you with all of our heart that you would help us to not lean on our own understanding. Holy Spirit, that you would direct our thoughts, our actions, our words to acknowledge that you're in complete control. And we pray that as we do that, as we humble ourselves, that you would direct our every path. Father, all the things that are question marks to us right now, what if this happens? What if that, Lord? I pray that all the anxiety would flee this room right now, knowing that you're in control. All of the stress that is so pent up in this room because we've got to figure it out. Father, help us to rely on you more. All of those who are struggling with health issues and don't know Will I be here tomorrow? Would they rest in the joy of you, their master? And Father, for any who came to this, in this place today, far from you and have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would confess you as the Lord. They would believe, Jesus, that you are not dead, but you are alive, and they would be saved. May you receive glory and praise as we sing to you, Jesus.